Chapter twenty four of seventeen. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Jonathan Burchard, August two thousand nine. Seventeen by Booth Tarkington. Chapter twenty four. Clothes make the man. Mrs. Baxter was troubled. During the afternoon, she glanced often from the open window of the room where she had gone to sew, but the peaceful neighborhood continued to be peaceful, and no sound of the harassed footsteps of William echoed from the pavement. However, she saw Genesis arrive, in his weekday costume, to do some weeding, and Jane immediately skipped forth for mingled purposes of observation and conversation. "'What do they say?' thought Mrs. Baxter, observing that both Jane and Genesis were unusually animated." but for once that perplexity was to be dispersed. After an exciting half-hour, Jane came flying to her mother, breathless. "'Mama!' she cried. "'I know where Willie is. Genesis told me, cause he saw him, and he talked to him while he was doing it.' "'Doing what? Where?' "'Mama, listen. What you think Willie's doing? I bet you can't get—' "'Jane!' Mrs. Baxter spoke sharply. "'Tell me what Genesis said at once.' "'Yes'm.' Willie's sittin' in a lumberyard that Genesis comes by on his way from over on the avenue where all the colored people live, and he's countin' knot-holes in shingles. He is what? Yes'm. Genesis knows all about it, because he was thinkin' of doin' it himself, only he says it would be too slow. This is the way it is, Mama. Listen, Mama, because this is just exactly the way it is. Well, this lumberyard man got into some sort of a fuss because he bought millions and millions of shingles, Mama, that had too many knots in, and the man w don't want to pay for em, or else the store where he bought em won't take em back, and they got to prove how many shingles are bad shingles or something. And anyway, Mama, that's what Willie's doing. Every time he comes to a bad shingle, Mama, he puts it somewheres else, or something like that, Mama, and every time he's put a thousand bad shingles in this other place, they give him six cents. He gets the six cents to keep, Mama, and that's what he's been doing all day. Good gracious! Oh, but that's nothing, Mama. Just wait till you hear the rest. That part of it isn't anything at all, Mama. You wouldn't hardly notice that part of it if you knew the other part of it, Mama. Why, that isn't anything! Jane made demonstrations of scorn for the insignificant information already imparted. Jane? Yes'm? I want to know everything Genesis told you, said her mother, and I want you to tell it as quickly as you can. Well, I am telling it, Mama, Jane protested. I'm just beginning to tell it. I can't tell it unless there's a beginning, can I? How could there be anything unless you had to begin it, Mama? Try your best to go on, Jane. Yes'm. Well, Genesis says, Mama! Jane interrupted herself with a little outcry. Oh, I bet that's what he had those two market baskets for. Yes, sir, that's just what he did. And then he needed the rest of the money, and you and Papa wouldn't give him any. So, and so he began counting shingles today, because tonight's the night of the party, and he just has to have it. Mrs. Baxter, who had risen to her feet, recalled the episode of the baskets and sank into a chair. How did Genesis know Willie wanted forty dollars? And if Willie's pawned something, how did Genesis know that? Did Willie tell Gen—oh, no, Mama. Willie didn't want forty dollars. Only fourteen. But he couldn't get even the cheapest ready-made dress suit for fourteen dollars. Mama, you're getting it all mixed up, Jane cried. Listen, Mama, Genesis knows all about a second-hand store over on the avenue, and it keeps most everything, and Genesis says it's the nicest store. 
and keeps waiter suits all the way up to nineteen dollars and ninety-nine cents. Well, and Genesis wants to get one of those suits, so he goes in there all the time, and talks to the man and bargains and bargains with him, because Genesis says this man is the bargainest man in the wide world, Mama. That's what Genesis says. Well, and so this man's name is One-Eye Belgis, Mama. That's his name, and Genesis says so. Well, and so this man that Genesis told me about that keeps the store, I mean One-Eye Belgis, Mama, well, One-Eye Belgis had Willie's name written down in a book, and he knew Genesis worked for families that have boys like Willie in them. And this morning, One-Eye Belgis shows Genesis Willie's name written down in this book, and One-Eye Belgis asked Genesis if he knew anybody by that name and all about him. Well, and so at first, Genesis pretended he was trying to remember, because he wanted to find out what Willie went there for. Genesis didn't tell any stories, Mama. He just pretended he couldn't rem remember. And so, One-Eye Belgis kept talking, and pretty soon Genesis found out all about it. One-Eye Belgis said Willie came in there and tried on the coat of one of those waiter suits. <gasps> oh, no! gasped Mrs. Baxter. Yes, am and One-Eye Belgis said it was the only one that would fit Willie, and One-Eye Belgis told Willie that suit was worth $14, and Willie said he didn't have any money, but he'd like to trade something else for it. Well, and so One-Eye Belgis said this was an awful fine suit, and the only one that he had that had belonged to a white gentleman. Well, and so they bargained, and bargained, and bargained, and bargained. And then, well, and so at last Willie said he'd go and get everything that belonged to him, and One-Eye Belgis could pick out enough to make fourteen dollars worth, and then Willie could have the suit. Well, and so Willie came home and put everything he had that belonged to him in those two baskets, Mama. That's just what he did, because Genesis says he told One-Eye Belgis it was everything that belonged to him, and that would take two baskets, Mama. Well, then, and so he told One-Eye Belgis to pick out fourteen dollars worth, and One-Eye Belgis asked Willie if he didn't have a watch. Well, Willie took out his watch, and One-Eye Belgis says it was an awful bad watch, but he would put it in for a dollar. And he said, I'll put your necktie pin in for forty cents more. So Willie took it out of his necktie, and then One-Eye Belgis said it would take all the things in the baskets to make I forget how much, Mama, and the watch would be a dollar more, and the pin forty cents, and that would leave just three dollars and sixty cents more for Willie to pay before he could get the suit. Mrs. Baxter's face had become suffused with high color, but she wished to know all that Genesis had said, and mastering her feelings with an effort, she told Jane to proceed, a command obeyed after Jane had taken several long breaths. Well, and so the worst part of it is, Genesis says, it's because that suit is haunted. What? Yes'm, said Jane solemnly. Genesis says it's haunted. Genesis says everybody over on the avenue knows all about that suit, and he says that's why One-Eye Belgis could never sell it before. Genesis says One-Eye Belgis tried to sell it to a colored man for three dollars, but the man said he wouldn't put it on for three hundred dollars, and Genesis said he wouldn't either, because it belonged to a Dago waiter that, that Jane's voice sank to a whisper of unctuous horror. She was having a wonderful time. Mama, this Dago waiter, he lived over on the avenue, and he took a case knife he'd sharpened, and he cut a lady's head off with it. Mrs. Baxter screamed faintly. And he got hung, Mama. If you don't believe it, you can ask One-Eye Belgis. I guess he knows. And you can ask, hush. And he sold this suit to One-Eye Belgis when he was in jail, Mama. He sold it to him before he got hung, Mama. Hush, Jane. But Jane couldn't hush now. And he had that suit on when he cut the lady's head off, Mama. 
and that's why it's haunted. They cleaned it all up except a few little spots of blood. Jane! shouted her mother. You must not talk about such things, and Genesis mustn't tell you stories of that sort. Well, how could he help it if he told me about Willie? Jane urged reasonably. Never mind. Did that crazy ch did Willie leave the baskets in that dreadful place? Yes'm, and his watch and pin, Jane informed her impressively. And one eye Belgis wanted to know if Genesis knew Willie, because one eye Belgis wanted to know if Genesis thought Willie could get the three dollars and sixty cents, and one eye Belgis wanted to know if Genesis thought he could get anything more out of him besides that. He told Genesis he hadn't told Willie he could have the suit, after all. He just told him he thought he could, but he wouldn't say for certain till he brought him the three dollars and sixty cents. So Willie left all his things there, and his watch, and that will do. Mrs. Baxter's voice was sharper than it had ever been in Jane's recollection. I don't need to hear any more, and I don't want to hear any more. Jane was justly aggrieved. But, Mama, it isn't my fault. Mrs. Baxter's lips parted to speak, but she checked herself. Fault, she said gravely. I wonder whose fault it really is. With that, and with that she went hurriedly into William's room, and made a brief inspection of his clothes closet and dressing table. Then, as Jane watched her in awed silence, she strode to the window and called loudly, Genesis! Yes'm, came the voice from below. Go to that lumberyard where Mr. William is at work, and bring him here to me at once. If he declines to come, tell him, her voice broke oddly, she choked, but Jane could not decide with what emotion. Tell him I ordered you to use force if necessary. Hurry. Yes'm. Jane ran to the window in time to see Genesis departing seriously through the back gate. Mama, don't talk to me now, Jane, Mrs. Baxter said crisply. I want you to go down in the yard, and when Willie comes, tell him I'm waiting for him here in his own room. And don't come with him, Jane. Run. Yes, Mama. Jane was pleased with this appointment. She anxiously desired to be the first to see how Willie looked. He looked flurried and flustered and breathless and there were blisters upon the redded palms of his hand. "'What on earth's the matter, mother?' he asked, as he stood panting before her. "'Genesis said something was wrong, and he said you told him to hit me if I wouldn't come.' "'Oh, no,' she cried. "'I only meant I thought perhaps you wouldn't obey any ordinary message.' "'Well, well, it doesn't matter, but please hurry and say what you want to, because I got to get back, and—' "'No,' Mrs. Baxter said quietly. "'You're not going back to count any more shingles, Willie.' How much have you earned? He swallowed, but spoke bravely. Thirty-six cents, but I've been getting lots faster the last two hours, and there's a good deal of time before six o'clock, mother. No, she said. You're going over to that horrible place where you've left your clothes and your watch and all those other things in the two baskets, and you're going to bring them home at once. Mother! he cried aghast. Who told you? It doesn't matter. You don't want your father to find out, do you? Then get those things back here as quickly as you can. They'll have to be fumigated after being in that den. They've never been out of the baskets, he protested hotly, except just to be looked at. They're my things, mother, and I had a right to do what I needed to with them, didn't I? His utterance became difficult. Y you and father just can't understand, and you won't do anything to help me. Willie, you can go to the party, she said gently. You didn't need those frightful clothes at all. I do, he cried. I got to have em. I can't go in my day clothes. 
There's a reason you wouldn't understand why I can't. I just can't. Yes, she said. You can go to the party. I can't either. Not unless you give me three dollars and twenty-four cents, or unless I can get back to the lumber yard and earn the rest before— No! And the warm color that had rushed over Mrs. Baxter during Jane's sensational recital returned with a vengeance. Her eyes flashed. If you'd rather I sent a policeman for those baskets, I'll send one. I should prefer to do it much, and to have that rascal arrested. If you don't want me to send a policeman, you can go for them yourself, and you must start within ten minutes, because if you don't, I'll telephone headquarters. Ten minutes, Willie, and I mean it. He cried out, protesting. She would make him a thing of scorn forever and soil his honor if she sent a policeman. Mr. Belgis was a fair and honest tradesman, he explained passionately, and had not made the approaches in this matter. Also, the garments in question, though not entirely new, nor of the highest mode, were of good material and in splendid condition. Unmistakably, they were evening clothes, and such a bargain at fourteen dollars that William would guarantee to sell them for twenty after he had worn them this one evening. Mr. Belgis himself had said that he would not even think of letting them go at fourteen to anybody else, and as for the two poor baskets of worn and useless articles offered in exchange, and a bent scarf-pin and a worn-out silver watch that had belonged to Great Uncle Ben, why, the ten dollars and forty cents allowed upon them was beyond all ordinary liberality. It was almost charity. There was only one place in town where evening clothes were rented, and the suspicious persons in charge had insisted that William obtain from his father a guarantee to ensure the return of the garments in perfect condition. So that was hopeless. And wasn't it better, also, to wear clothes which had known only one previous occupant, as was the case with Mr. Belgis' offering, than to hire what chance hundreds had hired? Finally, there was only one thing to be considered, and this was the fact that William had to have those clothes. Six minutes, said Mrs. Baxter, glancing implacably at her watch. When it's ten, I'll telephone. And the end of it was, of course, victory for the woman, victory both moral and physical. Three-quarters of an hour later, she was unburdening the contents of the two baskets and putting the things back in place, illuminating these actions with an expression of strong distaste, in spite of broken assurances that Mr. Belgis had not more than touched any of the articles offered to him for valuation. At dinner, which was unusually early that evening, Mrs. Baxter did not often glance toward her son. She kept her eyes from that white face, and spent most of her time in urging upon Mr. Baxter that he should be prompt in dressing for a card-club meeting which he and she were to attend that evening. These admonitions of hers were continued so pressingly that Mr. Baxter, after protesting that there was no use in being a whole hour too early, groaning to, groaningly went to dress without even reading his paper. William had retired to his own room, where he lay upon his bed in the darkness. He had heard the evening noises of the house faintly through the closed door, voices and the clatter of metal and china from the faraway kitchen, Jane's laugh in the hall, the opening and closing of the doors. Then his father seemed to be in distress about something. William heard him complaining to Mrs. Baxter, and, though the words were indistinct, the tone was vigorously plaintive. Mrs. Baxter laughed and appeared to make light of his troubles, whatever they were, and presently their footsteps were audible from the stairway, the front door closed emphatically, and they were gone. Everything was quiet now. The open window showed as a greenish oblong set in black, and William knew 
that in a little while there would come through the stillness of that window the distant sound of violins. That was a moment he dreaded with a dread that ached, and as he lay upon his dreary bed he thought of brightly lighted rooms where other boys were dressing eagerly, faces and hair shining, hearts beating high, boys who would possess this last evening and the last waltz together, the last smile and the last sigh. It did not once enter his mind that he could go to the dance in his best suit, or that possibly the other young people at the party would be too busy with their own affairs to notice particularly what he wore. It was the unquestionable and granite fact, to his mind, that the whole derisive world would know the truth about his earlier appearances in his father's clothes, and that was a form of ruin not to be faced. In the protective darkness and seclusion of William's bedroom, it is possible that smarting eyes relieve themselves by blinking rather energetically. It is even possible that there was a minute damp spot upon the pillow. Seventeen cannot always manage the little boy yet alive under all the coverings. Now arrived that moment he had most painfully anticipated, and dance music drifted on the night. But there came a tapping upon his door, and a soft voice spoke. Willie! With a sharp exclamation, William swung his legs over the edge of the bed and sat up. Of all things he desired not, he desired no conversation with or on the part of Jane. But he had forgotten to lock his door. The handle turned, and a dim little figure marched in. "'Willie, Adelia's going to put me to bed.' "'You away from here,' he said huskily. "'I haven't got time to talk to you. I'm busy.' "'Well, you can wait a minute, can't you?' she asked reasonably. I have to tell you a joke on Mama. I don't want to hear any jokes. Well, I have to tell you this one, cause she told me to. Oh, Jane clapped her hand over her mouth and jumped up and down, offering a fantastic silhouette against the light of the open door. Oh, 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 what's matter? She said I mustn't, mustn't tell that she told me to tell. My goodness, I forgot that. Mama took me off alone right after dinner and she told me to tell you this joke on her a little after she and Papa had left the house. But she said, above all things, she said, don't let Willie know I said to tell him. That's just what she said, and here that's the very first thing I had to go and do. Well, what of it? Jane quieted down. The pangs of her remorse were lost in her love of sensationalism, and her voice sank to the thrilling whisper which it was one of her greatest pleasures to use. Did you hear what a fuss Papa was making when he was dressing for the card party? I don't care if he had to go in his regular clothes, whispered Jane triumphantly. And this is the joke on Mama. You know that tailor that let Papa's dress suit way, way out? Well, Mama thinks that tailor, they must think she's crazy or something, because she took Papa's dress suit to him last Monday to get it pressed for this card party and she guesses he must have understood her to tell him to do lots besides just pressing it. Anyway, he went and altered it, and he took it way, way in again, and this afternoon when it came back it was even tighter than it was in the first place, and Papa couldn't begin to get into it. Well, and so it's all pressed and everything. And she stopped on the way out and whispered to me that she'd got so upset over the joke on her that she couldn't remember where she put it when she took it out of Papa's room after he gave up trying to get inside of it. And that, cried Jane, was the funniest thing of all. Why, it's laying right on her bed this very moment. 
In one bound, William leaped through the open door. Two seconds sufficed for his passage through the hall to his mother's bedroom, 